Welcome to Folk Rock Diva Talk, your intersectional destination for all things music, dignity politics, personal growth and development, queer life, fat activism, and general existentials. My name is Lily Lewis, the Folk Rock Diva, and I am here to tell you all about the view from my corner of the universe. There's a spiritual mother in the world known, among other things, as Mata Amritananda Mahimat. Uh, some people uh, call her the hugging saint. Some just call her Amma. <laughs> when I met Amma, I was so moved by the way she talked about compassion that I, the unbeliever as I was, uh, in, ended up finding myself asking her for a mantra. She offered me the seed syllables for love, and I was told that my 108 daily iterations of these seed syllables would somehow cast a spell on my life. Today, as I watch my own mother's tremoring body in the cold ER, I'm aware of a lot of spells cast in my life. I can feel my fear, I can feel my fatigue, I can feel my frustration, and I can feel myself doing my best to try to hold it all in a container um, that resembles compassion. Now, when I was about three or four, um, my sister and I were taken care of by some neighborhood babysitters, and um, their mother actually used to do hair for the kids in the neighborhood. She was kind of talented and had um, a little uh, kitchen hair shop going on. So one day I managed to convince her to see what she could do with my head. <laughs> but my mother came to pick me up before my hair was done. And right away I could tell that she was uncomfortable. Um, and she kind of snatched me out of the chair in an unusually um, kind of quick, terse kind of way and put me in the car and said, you know, you can't have other people doing your hair. It's like having strangers wash your dirty underwear. Now something about that moment lodged itself in time and in my psyche, maybe even in my body, because it left me with this like unusually or prohibitively weird feeling um, with people doing my hair. Like you just couldn't have strangers um, interacting, you know, with our dirty laundry, you know. But it turns out we had a lot of dirty laundry in my house. Um, Things like my father being a physical abuser, or my mother's hoarding, or her social anxiety, or her debilitating depression. All of that ended up feeling like dirty laundry, because I wasn't able to tell anybody about it. Um, all I knew was my job was to soothe her, like to be a caretaker on those days or weeks or months or eventually years when she couldn't get herself out of bed. I mean, even as early as three, I remember us having some kind of ritual where she would make me promise um, to take care of her when she got older. 
Now, when we all lived in my father's house, I remember coming home from kindergarten, finding her on the floor, hovering over the couch in the off-limits for the kids' living room, um, the kind of fancy one that set off from the kitchen. And she'd be crying for hours. And uh, I remember my touch um, tending to make the tears come like even harder. And then when we finally left his house, I remember coming home from school and finding her on the floor hovering over the toilet, you know, because our duplex apartment at that point was too small for any of the off-limits to the kids' rooms. But she'd be on the floor again, hovering over that toilet, sobbing for hours. And I think back now on that time, and I'm immediately put in touch with how much pain she must have been in agony even like it feels almost too much to bear and maybe it was um, because she often spoke of how she intended to be dead by 35 and since she was already 28 when I was born you can imagine how alarming this is for me at least by the time I was able to kind of conceptualize the reality of death right and at the time, I thought my father was the source of all of her suffering, and I wanted to protect her from him, but my small body was no match for his much larger one. So instead, I tried to protect her heart from breaking. I mean, at least, you know, the fatal break. <laughs> I filled my mind with reassurances, and I made sure to keep them mounted on the tip of my tongue for immediate deployment of any hint of emotional crisis. Eventually, I came to believe, I think, in the myths that I had made for her benefit, so much so that challenging them became a real threat to my identity. Um, I mean, I have to admit, like, she was kind of a superhero. I mean, I mean, she had, like, been in law school when, while she was pregnant with me and then finished law school while I was still an infant and had, like, a three-year-old older sister that she was raising. And, and, like, she ended up raising three kids on her own, like, after my brother was born and the, the divorce was finalized and... You know, she worked three jobs to keep us housed and clothed and fed and even educated. She went out of her way to make sure we had elite educations, all three of us. Um, and frankly, these were things that were true. And these true things became the only truths that mattered. It wasn't until I was in my 40s that I even let myself become aware of other truths, like my truths, you know. Um, it took a lot of work for me to start developing a fundamental ground of compassion for myself. And as I did, I became aware of just how scared I had been when I couldn't get my mother off the floor or just how helpless I'd felt when she was never home or just how betrayed I felt when she beat me when I let the babysitter wash my hair 
or how confused I felt when she didn't believe me when I told her that's not all that happened at the babysitter's house. So I think loving my mother through all of this may very well have widened my heart into this like almost religious attachment to compassion. I think the epic levels of compassion allowed me to stay my mind on her and maybe off of my own terror. Um, but, but her ambiguity about whether or not she wanted to live or die ended up fixating my mind on tolerating those thoughts within me. I mean, her experience of life as this unbearable phenomenon collapsed my posture around the value of my own life. Her collapse unchecked became my collapse. And my recovery felt like trying to rebuild a war zone. My mother is 72 now, and while she lays in her hospital bed, I'm aware that on some days her 72-year-old body has more health in it than mine. And I resent her for that. I resent her for not knowing that. And I resent her for making me responsible for her dirty laundry. And I love her for getting this far. I love her for surviving in spite of her suffering. I love her for performing so many impossible feats on the days when she could get out of bed. I love her for the proud and painful ways she made me long to become all that I am in spite of all that I'm not. In many ways, I'm still at war. I'm not ready to be the caretaker. I'm not ready to change her diapers or redeem her dirty laundry. But this is where we are. So I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in to that infinite, seemingly indefatigable field of compassion that has brought me this far. Believing with the faith of a true believer this time that there's enough compassion to hold us both. Om Rim Rim Namaha 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 Om R
Rock Diva Talk by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash folkrockdiva. And remember, if you're not sure how to be, practice radical decency. <laughs> <laughs> 